0: Titus chapter 3. We'll be there this week, and I think God's directing our steps to be there next week, too. We're going to take this text all the way up to the election. I think we all need it. I need it. Mrs. Lawrence, it's great to see you. That is you, isn't it? How are you? Can't wait to see you after church. Glad you're here safely. We're just gonna dive right in. It's eleven oh three. And I have to stop at eleven thirty-five. That's my backstop. Some of you say, Oh, preach as long as you want. And you really never really mean that. I know that. (laughs) Right? I know you're saying that with tongue in cheek a little bit. But I want you to enjoy the Lord's day completely, which means rest and uh, usually a good dinner to make you take a nap. <laughs> so we're going to dive right in, okay? Uh, if you were not able to be here with us uh, last week, you can find that message on our website. And I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And we'll just go through the overview and so forth and then dive into the grain loader parts of this text as we go along and... and um I hope hope you're able to listen to this text as it is indeed the Word of God. Don't ever forget 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul was thankful that the Thessalonian believers received, they embraced the Word of God not as it was the Word of men, but as it was indeed the word of God which effectually works in those who believe. It is possible in a political season like we're in for Christians to listen to God's word with confirmation bias, political confirmation bias. Now, if we're going to practice 1 Thessalonians 2.13, that's just what I want to caution your hearts against today, okay? Don't listen to the Word of God with political confirmation bias. It stands alone. Right? And we sing that. It stands alone. And we stand alone on the Word of God. In Christ Jesus. All right? And we'll let... The power of God, because the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And the word of God is the discerner. By the way, 1 Corinthians 11, diakrino, examine yourselves. Same Greek word in Hebrews 4.12 that teaches us the nature of the function of the Bible it diacrinos, right? It judges right through the thoughts and intents of your heart. So let the word of God have its way today. Amen. Set aside all that is the noise of politics and let God speak. Last week, we examined three mentions of the birth of Christ in this small letter. It is the birth, life, and death, and resurrection of Christ that allows us to understand the gospel and be transformed in the way we live. As we also learned last week, transformed, countercultural living, defines Christianity. Please don't forget that. It defines us in Christ and our personal existence. This living is described in the book of Titus and throughout the whole New Testament as good works. This quality of life is demonstrated both inside the church and outside in our daily rhythms of of life. James teaches we show our faith by our what? by our works. He goes on to say very clearly, faith without works is dead. You see, the devil will do all he can do to keep you from becoming a child of God in Christ. And then after you get saved, he knows a transformed life brought about by the gospel becomes the Christian hallmark of their existence in society. As a citizen, so he and his minions, the devil and his minions, will do all in their limited power to keep you from living out your testimony in Christ in the church and in the community. Paul knows the struggles of the church at Crete, both inside the church and outside so he commends Titus to them for the purpose of upholding the gospel and then setting the church in order to live gospel lives for our purposes today let's head to the context which contains our third mention of the incarnation of Christ that we saw last week and examine the good works conjoined with the gospel that we are to live as citizens So here's our proposition of this for this morning. The gospel makes us citizens of heaven's first. That's that's for sure. Amen. That's Philippians 1:20 20 and 21. We're citizens of heaven. We're dispossessed citizens really of earth. The gospel makes us citizens of heaven first and consequently helpful citizens of light. In our community. In these verses, Paul was messaging to Titus the type of life he was to live as the pastor at Crete and as also a citizen of the same island, which was under Roman domination. He was to model this life as shepherd and as citizen. Titus was to live as pastor of that church a life that would clearly contrast the self centered culture in which he pastored. As a matter of fact, the first word of chapter 3 teaches us that this young church at first did understand the virtues of spiritual and practical citizenship. But they needed a refresher because lawlessness had crept into their midst as a young church. The world had crept into their existence as a church, and that's why we said last week Titus was sent there to set the church in order. And the first way he was to do that was to be a personal example himself as a citizen of heaven and then a citizen of Crete. So they knew this. They knew how to do this. Worldliness had crept in and taken them away from what they knew to be right. So Paul says here in chapter 3 and verse 1, what? Remind them. And it literally means call back to their mind that which they used to be known, what used to be known as truth. Truth. They already know this. They've kind of gotten away from it. So remind them. Remind them. To do what? We're going to look at first of three sections of the rest of this chapter this morning. And look at the final two next week. He was to remind them, first of all, of their duties, of their duties as citizens. Their duties as citizens. It's right there. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. That's a tall order. And can I say the only way that a believer who's a citizen of heaven and also a citizen on earth is capable of following these civic civil duties is all by God's grace. I would say it's impossible to do this without help from heaven for any one of us. So, just a quick reminder for us. Let's go down to verses 4 and 5. As we understand, our ability to pursue these duties is really found in that third mention of the incarnation of Christ in our text. But when the kindness of our God, of God our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not as the basis not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the holy spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life and this is a trustworthy statement We'll go back to verse 1 now. Because Christ appeared, and Christ is the kindness and love of God, and you've entrusted your life to Christ as Lord, and he has washed you and cleansed you, he's adopted you into his family, you are that citizen of heaven. Therefore, you can live on earth as a citizen, as a citizen of heaven. That's what Paul's saying here. Titus, you can example this. You can model this, and then the people can follow your model as you're following my model as I'm following Christ. Be subject to rulers and authorities, only possible in Christ for a citizen of heaven. I think there's something for us to know here in the historic context of this book. Christians had become people of suspicion, in the Roman government. Why? Their conduct was different. Their conduct was different. These were the people under the Roman rule, but seemed to give their primary allegiance to another king, and the way they lived their lives while they at the same time were able to submit with a sweet reasonableness to the wicked Roman-dominated authority structure of the world of that day. In addition to this, they had their own places of worship. And of all places, the various homes of the people that had become citizens of heaven in Christ. What audacity of these saints to demonstrate a primary submission to God over Caesar, and then to not show up and support pagan worship practices on a week-to-week basis anymore. They had developed a target on their backs of sorts. They would be marked people of the culture for these two reasons. As marked citizens of heaven and of Rome, the culture would stand against them as judge and jury... And unscrupulously nitpicked their lives looking for any and all vices to which they could place blame upon them. Couple this with the criticisms of the religious Jews of the day that had infiltrated their ranks as a church, and these folks were under the microscope of all microscopes. You ever feel that way today? I'm sure you do. You take the Holy Spirit with you everywhere you go. He's placed you into Christ. The Holy Spirit has indwelt you. He fills you. He becomes your fruitful influence in the culture. You know the fruits of the Spirit, don't you? Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, self-control. You know them everyone, because they are made in God's image, can do civic good. They can do actually some amazing things by way of common grace throughout the culture. But there's one thing Paul mentions here that is a good work of the Christian that the unsaved always struggle with, and it's found in this first Christian duty of submitting to rulers and authorities. Christians are to be subject to rulers and authorities. And the text goes on to say they are to be obedient and ready for every good deed. So let's unpack this for today and understand it as the Christian in Crete would have understood it. They are to literally place themselves under. That's the word here for submit. It's a Greek word, hupatasso. It means to place yourself under place yourself under. The religious Jews of the day would have fought this mindless surrender of one's life to Roman paganism. They had infiltrated the church and were modeling a spirit of rebellion against Roman leadership of every kind. As a matter of fact, the religious Jew was bringing into the church of Crete the mindset of the Romans that walked the streets outside the homes in which they worshipped. They would say, if I don't particularly like the appointed leadership in my area or in this empire, then I don't have to follow it. After all, God is my despot. Right? That's the messaging of unbelief. Paul knew this was a problem. This lifestyle would draw attention off of Christ and growth in his character as the one who had transformed the way they lived and immediately placed the attention on fallen, sinful men who led. And so he steps in and says, listen, you've been changed by Christ. Your lives are demonstrating this as you live in the culture. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ rendered unto Caesar's what was Caesar's, and taught his disciples to do the same. And he is God in flesh. So don't listen to the religious and the political propaganda of Rome. Live for Christ as you are in Christ and sweetly submit to appointed officials. They weren't elected back then. They were appointed. With the spirit and attitude of Jesus because That's not popular in culture. And we all know that's not popular in culture, right? Has anyone ever dare stand to your feet and say, I've never had a problem with authority in my life? It saturates our fallenness, doesn't it? Every layer of authority, not just political. You see, when you're primarily governed by Jesus as Lord, you can follow governmental leaders as Jesus did. Can you let that sink in a little bit? Remember I said we're okay with Jesus and his character and his nature, but sometimes the way he lived gives us a little heartburn? That one gives me heartburn my fallenness gets heartburn by that statement. We love Jesus right. You know Jesus was without sin, don't you? Don't you? That yes. I'm sure we are perfectly okay with how Jesus submitted to Rome and its rule in his day. Remember, friends, the church already had a target on its back because it lived differently, and it worshipped in unique ways. And they already had a target on their backs that was larger than any target in the empire. So Paul's just saying, hey, don't. Listen, don't make the target any bigger than it is by disrespecting authority. Keep your primary allegiance to Christ And consider how he managed Rome in his own life. Then only follow me and my example if I'm following Christ. In the way I'm modeling submission to authority to you, Titus. Remember, the text of Titus teaches us how we are to live good works inside and outside the church. This shows citizens our gospel. Which is really why we live, isn't it? Which is really why we live, isn't it? I really don't believe everyone's persuaded by that yet in our church. The text of Titus teaches us how we are to live good works as citizens. And this shows men our gospel and this is why we live and why we breathe. That and that alone. That is our singular pledge of allegiance. Because that mission statement doesn't change regardless who sits in the White House, does it? So in chapter 3, Paul sets his sights on Christian living as a citizen of Rome, as they are citizens of heaven. And the first thing he says is be subject to rulers and authority. Why? Well, we've already mentioned one reason. You don't want to make the persecution target any bigger on your back than necessary. But also, Christians need to remember that culture wars have always been present in any age. We have culture wars now, don't we? The clash of these wars is as loud as it's ever been. How do we vote? The ethics we use in political debate and action, the laws we obey, one author said, the legislation we seek, the language we use to discuss governmental issues and officials at church, at work, and around the dinner table. All of these of life, all these areas of life are affected by Paul's instruction to be subject to rulers and authorities. Then he even goes on to say in relationship with these authorities that we're not to malign them. Gulp. Everyone take a deep breath because I know your chest just got heavy. To malign no one. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate and said, What? Nothing. He says to be peaceable, literally not contentious. Then he goes on to say be gentle and be humble, be considerate, showing every consideration for all men. And by the Christ, grace of Christ, and because Christ lived the same disposition before those who allowed the Jews to crucify him, we can as well. One author said, Lest we think Paul and other apostles simply did not know what we have to put up with, we should remember that these were the times of Caesars, occupational armies, and Colosseums. I don't believe we would ever hear Jesus stand up in his home or in a crowd and say, Not my Caesar. Our church's CUP hearing, the second one, was this past Thursday. You see, rulers and authorities in the Greek grammar here not only encompasses national leaders, but also states and local titled officials as well. Even Thursday evening before the city, Pastor Steve demonstrated great grace in the face of layered regulation upon regulation upon regulation, which always yields cost upon cost upon cost, upon cost, and it just seemed all so unreasonable. He also showed grace in the face of highly unexpected pushback from familiar friends in the community as local authorities also gave them opportunity to speak against the project. praise God that Pastor Steve embraces this text as he stands as our representative before our magistrates Amen. to keep his cool in the midst of all that. I was not part of the meeting. He was my stand-in. And I'm getting texts from people in the community who are watching online saying, your pastor, I've never met him, but he's doing a great job keeping the peace. Maybe you've applied for a permit to build a shed. Maybe you even wanted to install a new mailbox. Maybe you wanted to add an addition on your home. You're all familiar with the layered processes set forth by your local communities to see these tedious projects through. We all know how frustrating... Submitting to these layers can be. But Paul reminds the Cretan believers that they are to submit as Christ would. And at the same time, listen to me clearly. Live Christ and let them see Christ as your Lord. You kids may not like going 20 in a school zone when you're late for school you employers may not appreciate the imposing of a national minimum wage upon your company. We all know how we just love to pay our taxes in April. We all know that virtually every part of our daily lives is saturated with living under some sort of standard or law the governor has laid upon us. It's absolutely unavoidable. It's also unavoidable to feel that because civic authority is unreasonable, our obligation to submit to them is annulled. And it's not. You see, my friends, Christians have an ability by God's grace to live a graciousness before unreasonable magistrates that men without Christ cannot live. And then that testimony stands out as light, and it is unavoidable, unavoidable light of peace and grace. Again, all men can be gracious because they're made in the image of God, but when you know Christ and are indwelt by the Spirit of God, you have a divine ability to bring him into a meeting of governors and allow them to say, you know, there's something different about that person. And they'll come up to you and they'll say, what's different about you? And all you can say is, you know what, it's really who is different about me. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, this has everything to do with the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? People won't listen of Christ from a person who is a political agitator. Christ wasn't a political agitator, He was not a political activist. He was Christ. He didn't have to agitate anything. He's Lord over all. He lived the character of God before men because he was God. He could not help himself but be God. That was his nature. That was his testimony. I have come to do the will of my Father who sent me. Christ was living divine morality. In Christ, we live his morality. In every place, whether it be your neighborhood or the voting booth, you can't help yourself but just live his morality and act his morality if you're governed by the Spirit and growing in likeness. Christians across the country are misunderstood by their own fault at times. It seems every four years, morality becomes an agenda issue. A political platform. The world has a hard time with this, and I understand that. They're the world outside of Christ. They're always going to struggle with that. But I hope living our moral life in Christ isn't just a topic of conversation every primary or general election. I hope it's truly a way of life and not a platform to be fought for. Not merely a platform to be fought for. If it's a way of life, it's a way of life. And it's just something we are because of who we are in Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? good works. And then come to glorify your Father who is in heaven. And Paul's just saying here to Titus, this is one good work. Submit yourself to authorities and rulers with a sweet disposition. Okay. I pray people around us know us as, our, as sweet, kind, consistent, spirit-filled, holy lifestyle. People, throughout the days of years, and they don't just hear us, promoting our morality during times of cultural, political warfare in an election year. I tell people all the time, please don't preach your morals only every four years if you're not living your morals 24-7, 365 in Christ. You're giving a bad name to Christianity. This way, folks know of our Christ by the way we live, not just merely by the way we agenda. Our Great Commission reality is lived every day, not every four years. So yes, gospel progress is at stake when Paul tells the Cretan believers to be subject to rulers and authorities. So what are we primarily known for? One author said, if our gospel positions are to have credibility, we must make sure that we do not sully our stance in the political arena with words or actions that indicate unwillingness on our part to be subject to proper authority. Think of the influence we have in our culture as members of this gospel-preaching church. In our discipleship culture, we encourage each other to live in Christ And to live christ-like lives as we study god's word personally and together this spiritual health is then taken everywhere you go throughout your week and year you take the presence character and disposition of christ with you everywhere you go you live his life as we you us pursue christ likeness and when you take this testimony into the grocery store He's with you as you shop. Or the place where you work. Or the neighborhood where you exercise. Or the political arena in which you labor. Then you have spiritual influence. And it's certainly of a divine and eternal kind. There the character of God is known and appreciated because the people in those environments know you to be one filled with the fruit of the Spirit and not the venom of cultural warfare. Spirit filled, word saturated Christians who walk through this life together through the days and throughout the years, they have God's influence on the culture. And we pray too, right? 1 <laughs> Timothy 2. That's gospel influence. All keep growing in Christ. You will know how to live, decide, buy, sell, and get gain. You will. Our morality in Christ is not an agenda, it's a lifestyle. I know you in Christ, and you're doing a great, great job. Please keep it up. Don't get caught up. Keep it up. In cultural warfare times like we're in now, if you're fearful and agitated and don't know what to do with all of it, go to God in prayer, settle your heart then go to your discipler and ask your questions and follow them if they're following Christ. And in these times, God's people should grow towards Christ's likeness and away from agitation and they should be peacemakers who pursue living holy lives. No Christian that was spirit-filled in the previous two-term president's tenure said, not my president even though there was dramatic disagreement with the platform and decision-making. No Christian that is spirit-filled today would cry out in any platform, in any venue, not my president, even though you may disagree with his attitude and arguably the most argumentative disposition in recent history. Ultimately, God places rulers and authorities in places, not your vote, He puts them up, and he will take them down when he wishes. In the meantime, they're there for your purposes to demonstrate Christ and to grow in Christlikeness. And some of them might be a little uglier than you think, and maybe God's using them to squeeze you, to compel you to live like Christ in the midst of all the darkness. Our role Live the life of Christ among men. Live his light. Live his morality. Live together as the people of God. Get together. Pray together. Help each other. Learn from each other. This is what we've sought to do over the past 15 years. And before that, at Grace Church, and you are increasingly shining his light for Christ in our community and state. And it's showing in the culture as well. We must not only be kind and respect authority that we agree with, we must be kind and respect authority that we do not agree with Hupataso it is what it is. If we were invited to a steak dinner at the White House in the previous administration to this one, how would you prepare your heart to attend, or would you even? Would Jesus have attended? How would he have acted? Well, if Christ attended, he's the example, right? I'm pretty sure he, the God of heaven in flesh, who is control of all things, would, act, would not act like a political agitator. After all, he's pretty settled about who he is. In Christ, we should be settled about who he is and who he says he is. Peace, be still. He's got this. He's got this. And there you'll find out what John the Baptist said. He must increase and I must decrease. The gospel that saves and transforms character is the gospel that transforms character towards holiness. The gospel that allows people to become primarily citizens of heaven rather than just citizens on earth. You see, folks, if we make it a routine to only live and speak the gospel to unsaved souls and authority with which we agree, we really don't have a gospel Friends, it's no secret. An anti-authoritarian mindset continually saturates our culture. This was not the heart set of our Savior. Paul knew for the Cretan believers that if they adopted the anti-authoritarian mindset that the religious Jews and the world upheld, that they would lose their gospel salt and light. We don't have to like what any given authority stands for. And if it's immoral, we shouldn't. But we don't have to at the same time even support it. But we shouldn't be angered to the point of being agitators instead of respecters. Live and decide practically for holiness as much as we can in every part of your life. Paul knows if we have these authority issues outside the church, there's going to be authority issues inside the church. If the gospel is lost in this regard, he's saying in chapters 1, verses 5 through 9, don't lose it in the church first. Remember, set in place those in authority with these characteristic traits. Set it right so the people have an example to follow in the church. If it's right inside the church, then people will know how to live a Christ-like life Outside the church, under authority that's not godly. It's modeled by us. It's modeled by the leaders. It's modeled for one another here so that we do know how to positionally and dispositionally participate out there. Again, if it's still confusing for you, just pray. Open God's word. Get with your discipler. Pray and do the same with them. Sit with one of our elders or deacons and have a conversation. If you think the authority structure is right here and people sweetly submit here, then maybe you can learn from the authority here if it's following the qualifications of chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and learn how to live it out there. Follow them as they're following Christ. That's why we're having the coffee with the pastors tonight to continue to figure it out together. It says here, be ready for every good deed. Wow. In the context of submitting to authority. Like, wow. What does the text say? To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for who? No, no, it says just for Republicans. It says just for Democrats. What does it say? It says no. No, it says just for third-party candidates. (laughs) You know what I did this last week in my submission and obedience to this text? I dialed up one of my local officials who's part of state and federal government that is the most Antithetically opposed to anything I would stand for. And I asked him if we could get together and have coffee. On me. (laughs) My great commission far transcends any of their commission. And I'm to be good and express good deeds to all men. And I'm to be reasonable, peaceful, and gentle in the meantime. This message, if you're spirit-filled, should change many of your posts on social media that are ungracious, unkind, disrespectful, not Christ-like, And you should get alone for an hour today and pull them all down. You can post. You can post for morality. Just don't be nasty. Jesus isn't nasty. Okay. (laughs) Lots more to come next week, and I know you're all coming back. (laughs) All right? He's like, man, you went over. You, You blew through that 1135 backstop, Pastor Tim. You're not trustworthy anymore. Hey, listen. Love you all. Thanks for your time. Praise God for his word, right? And um, let's pray and then we'll sing Father in heaven hey I've learned a lot this week you've stepped on my toes even made it hard for me to sleep this week because of this text and Lord you know I've known this text and exposited this text probably 8-10 times in my life and I'm still learning from this text thank you for your patience with me thank you for your patience with us We pray for that quiet and peaceable life. But Lord, we have a gospel that compels us to daily live a quiet and peaceable life that we pray for as we live the holiness of Christ inside the church and among all men outside of her. Help us to understand your grace to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.